0: what's going on everybody it is that time again the all sooners podcast episode 182 on this wednesday april 12th 2023 josh Calloway in oklahoma city ryan chapman and more john hoover in tulsa gentlemen how are we doing
1: having a light week aren't we uh one midweek softball game no press conference uh that was on the road and then uh only one football interview man what what are we gonna do with ourselves this week fellas
2: I was gonna say light week professionally, but you can speak for yourself. Who knows? Last night I was three. Sc- I had the Hawks on, I had the Braves on, and then OU softball covering that game remotely, obviously down in Baton Rouge. So uh, I'm just uh, covering up the work stuff with other sports that we don't cover. Sports for pleasure.
0: What a what a concept. Sports Who for Who needs pleasure. a hobby? On. We
1: we do not need a hobby with this career, do we?
0: <laughs> no. No not in the slightest no yeah this week is uh we only had one football availability like who said we need to go to practice on Monday but we also heard from Brent Venables last week after we recorded so when we backtrack we've got we got some stuff to some ground to cover Oklahoma did land of course uh, a big quarterback recruit we'll talk about that a little bit later as well and of course other sports on the back end so still got a packed show for you this afternoon let's do what we've been doing let's dive into spring ball the latest from spring camp. Like I said, last week we talked to Brent Venables. We're in the midst of week four of spring practice. The spring game is next Saturday. Uh, so we're on the uh, tail end here of uh, spring camp. I can't remember who I was talking to. I said something about the spring game being next Saturday, and they were like, wow, already. Like It, it has moved a little quick. Um, a little different for us going to Norman constantly, but it has moved a little quick. And uh, we're on the tail end of it now. So we'll just open it up here. What what what's the big takeaway from uh, from Coach Venable's last week, Ryan? You weren't able to be there, but I know you've you've been abreast of everything he's had to say. It's almost impossible to work in sports radio uh, the last week, I think, and not have known uh, pretty much everything he has said, um, and just generally from camp in the last week or so.
2: Go ahead, Ryan. Oh yeah, I, I thought that the big takeaway was just uh, for me. We know that the continued emphasis on physicality, and that's a big area that that Brent Venables preached coming in last year, but also this offseason has been a very consistent, like, that needs to improve. But just those comments about Jackson Arnold and and how football kind of comes easy to him, we've heard that a little bit from about Peyton Bowen, Jackson Arnold, some of the heavy hitters in this last recruiting class, that the football piece of it comes easy. And when you think about stuff like – Him going out there and saying he's already throwing guys open, things like that. This is a guy that is just adjusting to his first slate of practices, right? And and get up to this speed, up to this level. And I I think the fact that Brent Venables is already talking about Jack Snell as a guy that's you know throwing people open, things like that, uh, I think that's a good sign. Now on the flip side, remember last year, Brent Venables was also the guy that said he he was liking what he's seen at a guy like Nick Evers. He's like, I'm sure Coach Levy will tell you, you know, he wants to work on this, this, and this, Uh and Nick Evers couldn't even get on the field uh, even when Dilly Gabriel was hurt or things like that. But I think we can all acknowledge that Jack snarled a little bit different aura about him and just through his recruitment following so closely. It's what we expected of him to, to get very comfortable very quickly this spring at Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, what well, we've accomplished three weeks plus one interview. Um, and I think what, what's been established at quarterback is pretty simple – Dylan Gabriel obviously the starters getting the line share of the snaps with the ones Davis Bevel is still getting the two snaps as we would define them you know who's next behind Dylan Gabriel it's Davis Bevel still so um, I think there are some expectations uh, maybe in the media maybe among the fan base certainly among people who have seen Jackson Arnold play and have covered him oh he'll be the he'll be second string by the by the he may be he might be second string. But as a true freshman, as a guy who's drinking through a fire hose right now, this playbook and, and the speed at which the college game unfolds, Davis Bevel's way ahead of him. Davis Bevel played three years at Pittsburgh. Davis Bevel played, a, you know, for better or worse, right, uh-huh. a couple of games last year where he had to come in and do some things. Um, the, t- the coaches obviously felt a certain way about Davis Bevel's play. We all know what that is. But to just expect Jackson Arnold, because he, hit, he was so gifted in high school, to come in and be the backup or to come in and push Dylan Gabriel for starting snaps, he might, and it might, it may eventually play out. And by the time we get to October, he may be the second string quarterback not saying that's not going to happen, but it's unrealistic for us to expect it at this point in time.
0: I will say, you know, obviously, and we'll talk about more about the open practice later on, but you remember who obviously they did the goal line stuff they did two series at the goal line, and the two series, the first one was Dylan Gabriel, the second one was Jackson Arnold. We didn't see Bevel running the goal line stuff, so I don't know. I mean,
1: maybe that tells you something about his mobility versus Davis Bevel not being mobile whatsoever.
0: No, none. Um, so we know that firsthand. So you know, I don't know. Being out there four times, it doesn't feel close to me as far as just. And again, they're not, it's not games. It's practice. They're throwing around to nobody pressuring them. But just the way they move, the way his arm is, the accuracy, Jackson Arnold it should be the backup. Uh, he, he's looked better and better every time we've been out there. He's looked better and better and better to me. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how that bears out. It's hard for me, too, because the way my dumb brain works, when, when you talk about, you know, from Venables last week, I, I can't help but think about the last thing he talked about, which was, the idea of playing spring games against other teams. That was an interesting conversation. That's something that's floated around a lot this spring. Brent Reynolds basically was like, if other teams are doing it, we'll do it, I guess. You know, like he, he was kind of open to whatever. Um, didn't really have too strong of an opinion on it either way. What do you guys think about that? I don't think we've ever talked about that really on the show. Playing spring games against other teams or scrimmaging other teams in spring um, as opposed to what, obviously, teams do now where they just kind of do an inner squad type thing. Is that something that's realistic and would make sense. I think, I think it's not
1: necessarily it's, it's realistic, but it's not practical. Okay. And and I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why number one, these small schools are going to come out and they're going to say, um, let's just say Missouri state, right? Yeah. We'll come to Oklahoma. We'll play your spring game. Uh, All we need is $850,000. Really? You're going to do that for uh, the, out of the goodness of your heart for $850,000. That's not in the budget. It could be, and maybe it should be, and I'm sure you could work the the numbers around to where it is, but who wants to watch that? Number two, the spring game should be about good on good. Um, Anytime you see these spring games where it's ones versus twos or, or twos on defense, twos versus ones, those are, never, those are never good scrimmages. What you want out of your spring game is your ones going against your ones. Iron sharpens iron. They like. To, they love to pull that out there and say iron sharpens iron. Cotton does not sharpen iron. Playing an FCS school, playing a 1AA or a Division II or some rum-dum out of the, the group of five does not sharpen iron. So I think the best way to do it would be to continue what they're doing, have a big old spring scrimmage, make it a big recruiting weekend, and say – our ones are going to go against our ones, and we're going to knock the hell out of each other for two hours and we're going to entertain the masses, 70,000 people. That's the way to do a spring game.
2: Yeah, but that doesn't draw 70,000 people unless you're mad at Lincoln Riley. I mean, that that was the right. whole thing to do last year, right? The whole reason we talked about the crowd last year is because it was not normal, right? What is very normal is you barely fill the lower bowl. A lot of these schools, what did OU do last year? Oh, it's the spring game draft. So it's ones-on-ones, but it's kind of ones on one. It's half of your ones on this side and half of your ones on this side. I would much rather, especially in a a spring like this where Oklahoma is replacing a lot of offensive linemen, and I know that, for instance, like a Walter Rouse is hurt, so he's not going through spring. I would rather Oklahoma get to see, okay, if you're playing – Missouri State, Tulsa, whatever it is, you know it's bad. What does that unit look like together? Because if Missouri State is still getting pressure, it's the same thing we say in week one of the season, right? Like, only bad things can come of this. It it should look nice and uniform, and that's what it should look like. I think that it's an easier sell to fans to have an actual team come in and to say it's going to be a game, there's not going to be the TV timeout, stuff like that, like we're going to roll through this thing pretty quickly. Cause a lot of these spring games, too across the country, really get watered down by weird scoring and stuff like that. Like that's what we appreciated last year about Oklahoma spring game, is it wasn't the weird the defense is up twenty one to nothing. It was pretty just standard of they're gonna play and Dylan Gabriel was all time quarterback, and that was kind of like the unique thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and so we, we've seen a ton of versions of that. I would rather see that. I'd also rather this gets into a nugget of something you can do down the line. If everyone's playing an FCS scrimmage in the spring, then that really kills the argument of these FCF game, FCS games need to exist in the regular season to, to help their budget, stuff like that. Just say, look, if, if everyone's going to pay for an extra round of games, the FCS gets a small fee. They get a small cut of the spring game TV. OU gets all of the gate and all that stuff from whatever they get. I, I think you're more likely to have – a more consistent game day environment like we saw at last year's spring game if there's someone else coming in. Because again, like I said before, why was last year so significant? Because we had literally never seen that before.
1: Now, real quick, Ryan, if you're talking about doing away with FCS games in the regular season, you're going to have to have a hard fast rule that says no more games against FCS teams in the regular season. That's not going to happen. People are still going to want to play FCS games. FCS teams are going to have their hand out saying, yeah, we'll play you for a million five. It's it's just the way the business is right now until somebody comes along, coaches association, or somebody comes out and says, we're not playing these teams anymore. Then yeah.
2: you can move it to spring and it might be fun to watch. Get us a commissioner, which is a hold to do. that. something yeah. that's been yelled about for a very long time. But- it becomes an easier bridge to say, okay, well, the teeth have kind of been taken out of this because that's what, that's the really lame. Ex- like, there'll be other excuses that come up, right? Like, coaches are just looking for excuses basically to put them on a schedule. But if that excuse gets weeded out really, really quickly, then it's like, okay, there are plenty of bad uh, FBS teams. You can go find one. You, you would put Oklahoma on the schedule last year and you'd play a bad FBS team.
0: Yeah, at face value, you know, I mean, from an entertainment perspective, yes, obviously, um, to play an actual team would probably, like Ryan said, more fans, it would get you a TV deal, the game would be on TV, ESPN, I mean, they, they would take these games, they would air these games in, uh, in spring, these exhibition games, because people love football, and ESPN will take it, they'll take the, uh, you know, the revenue and all that stuff from that. It's the yeah. It, it's kind of like the logistical part of it that is where it kind of gets bogged down because it feels like if you're going to do this, it either would have to be like like kind of what you guys are saying, really tiny schools, UCO or something, who come play OU at you know in Norman. Otherwise, because if you're playing another D one team, they they they're going to say, well, we want our spring game to be at home. Then you're now now you're doing like a home at home. And you're playing two of these things or something like back to back Saturdays or something. So that's where it gets bogged down, but from my pure entertainment and you know, all that stuff, it's like, yeah, if you can make that work, that's certainly an easier sell to television networks and uh, the fans, all of that. So don't like forget to it, but I don't know you, if it's uh feasible.
1: You're gonna want to look at it like a college football coach into every college football coach in the country, this is practice number fifteen. We mm. have to get better in practice number fifteen that's right. the way they approach these things and so playing somebody like a uco or uh southwestern or somebody like that does nothing to get oklahoma better
2: yeah i think i think too when with this thing that popped up with auburn and, and he free started out there like uab and troy for auburn alabama we become so focused on the in-state stuff there are more lower tier schools in texas than there are like premier programs for texas to host so Oh, you bring it in like a North Texas first off recruiting. That's like a layup. You're you're making the invite everybody from the Denton high schools, all that stuff. Hey, it's, it's the team you're familiar with all that. But also too, I know that Britt Venable said if we opened up a practice to the public on a Saturday and said, come on in people fill the stands. Yes. You're not going to get 70,000 people for a a random Saturday practice. And there is an element of, what it is it more valuable for Jackson Arnold to play OU's defensive backs for the 15th straight practice or on practice 15? Is it more valuable to see what Jackson Arnold looks like with 80,000 people in the stands?
0: Hmm. Good point. Sure. We
2: are also, so you won't the, get 80,000 for
1: some random FCS school, but might. it will be more than like the, you the during the season.
2: They're going to they're dump in for the spring game.
0: You do during the season. Yeah. Um, well, the, maybe the biggest argument for it is that we're missing out on the discourse whenever Texas AM and ev- m you know, eventually loses to, uh, you know, pan- Texas Panhandle State or whatever. <laughs> because that would happen eventually, and that would just supply content for the entire offseason for the for the good people and wherever. Because that would happen, and it would be tremendous. It'd be it'd be an awesome. I don't know. to talk about. Like I said, I don't know if it's feasible, <laughs> but it's fun to think about the fire Jimbo bonfire would be burning bright. First coach to ever get fired after a spring game. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, did Les Miles make it to the spring game? I think Les Miles even got canned before the spring game at Kansas.
1: Yeah, I think he did. Oh, yeah, because uh, our guy football. Emmett Jones
0: was the interim through all, all of correct. spring football. Wow. That's right. That's right. Well, yeah, I, like I said, I don't know if it's feasible, but fun to think about. Maybe down the road, uh, we'll get there. Anything else from, from Brent before we moved on that uh, stuck out last week? We got him for like, what was it, like 30 minutes? My arm was killing me. Yeah. Right. In Scrum fashion, yeah. that, that's, those are tough.
1: Which arm? The one that was bent holding the camera or the one yeah, that was sticking straight right out the holding
0: the microphone? The mic one, you can kind of like cheat and rest on your hip bone a little bit <laughs> or something if you need to, but the arm one is just like, there's nothing you can do
1: gotta be still yeah yeah so uh i asked him a, a what i thought was a fairly innocuous question about your linebackers i said you, you know brent we get to see you out here uh with the open portion of practice we get to see you interact with your linebackers um and it, things get pretty intense how are those guys doing fairly innocuous question well he went on for like two and a half minutes about each uh-huh. linebacker and about what the way each guy is fulfilling a certain role and the, num- the amount of experience they don't have versus the amount of experience they do have and they're getting and they, they don't need to be perfect, but, but they do need to be precise and stuff like that. It's like, okay, he, he, we get to watch the practice. And I, I think I told you guys this last week, we got, they, they got basically three linebacker coaches out there, Skowski, uh, Ted roof and Brent Venables and Venables has his hands on every rep. It was crazy. So it was just fun to watch.
2: It'll be really interesting to see because that's a group that, like, I don't know if we've had these discussions on the pod or if, or if it's – but, like, I've got questions about what is going to be on the interior of the defensive line. So if they're – if they don't hit on some of those portal guys, if Coe and Kelly don't take that huge step forward, then suddenly I think Brett Venables knows those linebackers are going to be taxed, right? Like Danny Stutzman – was very familiar with what was happening last year when, when there was not a ton of help coming at you from the defensive line. You had an experience Deshaun White. Suddenly, Deshaun McCullough, who we had talked to uh, last week, and he had talked about how he's going to be learning the defense all the way up into fall camp, whether it's Jaron Kanick or Kobe McKenzie beside Stutzman. Like, it's a lot of inexperience as far as actual game reps and snaps. And I, I just wonder how much of that is, uh, we know that Brent Venables is always going to gravitate toward the linebackers. It, it's in his DNA. But how much of it also knowing that um, th- there's going to be a lot of pressure on young linebackers uh, and doing everything that they can to try and get those guys up to speed to be as prepared as possible for this fall.
0: In addition to uh, Brent Venables last week, like we talked about, we also got Dylan Gabriel last week uh, for about five minutes or so. We also got Bill Beanbo. And then this past Monday, we got Todd Bates and then a slew of other players. Like I've said before, we kind of cover a lot of ground. We're not all able to be in every scrum. So in the guys that you heard, what jumped out, uh, either from Beanbo, Gabriel, or on Monday, uh, the guys that we got then? Anything else that that, uh, you wanted to touch on?
1: I'm glad you asked. I would be uh, remiss if I didn't mention the interview with L Anthony, wide receiver, transfer from Mm -hmm. Michigan. Uh, very impressive. You know, we talked to him in February, whatever that was, February 16th uh, on February media day.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, so we talked, got to talk to him again after practice. I wasn't there, but you guys were there and he was impressive. He's just, right. he just really carries himself. Now the question becomes, uh, I mean, I've talked to a lot of impressive players in pra- after practice who never played in a game. The question becomes, how does he translate that into learning the offense, understanding his role? getting in and out of breaks and catching the football, ultimately making plays. Um, I think it's going to translate well. You don't go to to a place like Michigan and make a lot of plays for them, a college football playoff team, and then uh, go to somewhere like Oklahoma and disappear off the roster. He's a good football player. So uh, getting a chance to talk to him and understand more about his, his kind of perspective on the offense, um, his role in the offense, his teammates, what their roles are. Uh, it's uh, I think, every time you talk to him or talk to someone about him, about how twitchy he is, how explosive, he's got top end speed. He gets away fast. um, He's elusive. He's sudden with everything he does. Every time you talk to somebody about him, it sounds like he's going to be one of the big three wide receivers on this team next year.
2: Yeah. That, that speed burner has been applied to him by just about every wide receiver we've talked to uh, asking about other guys. Gavin Freeman was another one that uh, even, a weird like I was asking Jordan Kelly about some of the younger guys trying to talk to him about some of the younger guys in the defensive line room and the first guy that he thought of was Gavin Freeman of that guy's making plays things like that I think that speaks to uh what we've seen out of Gavin Freeman in very very limited spots but uh he's just a guy that he's just a football player and he's got you yeah. know that that track background that shows he, he has that twitchiness to him so I'm excited to see what he brings to the table and I know that you know Ross was over talking with him and and was laughing that Gavin Freeman took a moment was like, "Yeah, this time last year I was at like a track meet eating fruit snacks and now I'm here like trying to to step up and and be a big contributor." So that was kind of funny. Then you flip over to the other side of the ball. Um Jonah Laulu getting to talk to him about his move to interior defensive line. That story's up on allsooners.com and him just talking about how it's something he did Hawaii and he, he feels comfortable there and him going into the process of okay, Jerry Smith's trying to put a ton of weight on him pretty quickly and then you know, got, get to talk to Todd Bates and see his perspective on, on kind of moving Jonah Laulu to the interior just to see what that can kind of bring to this defensive tackle room.
0: Yeah, I mean, think about how how much different the OU wide receiver room looks if Andrew Anthony is is a guy. You know what I mean? Like, it, it really, the depth gets a lot better. And, you know, we've heard lots of really glowing things about him throughout spring. Um, asking other receivers about what what he's looked like and everybody has has sung his praises. And then, yeah, he has a really good head on his shoulders, seems to be embracing kind of everything. And, you know, we hadn't really talked about it that much. But the fact that he is coming from Michigan, I mean, another big boy, you know what I mean? A team that's been in the playoff last two years like that. There's kind of an element there that you just can't replicate when you're coming from not to disrespect any other school, but like Jonah Lallou, Hawaii, you know what I mean? Like it. That element is is shouldn't be overlooked either. So that that's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. Excited to see him uh, actually out on the field a little bit more, uh, especially after hearing him talk the other day. Elsewhere, you know Dylan Gabriel last week. We only got him for a few minutes, but talking to him, I asked him about the the running back room, and because we've talked on this show before about you know the running backs look like one of the strengths of the team. Even with Javante Barnes missing the rest of spring practice, you're still out there. Like, geez, they have a lot of guys. I asked him about the running back room and he like took a minute to like pause and just like smile like three seconds. And it was like, I've never been around a, uh, been around a running back room like this one. And I think has been around football for a while. He's this is like his ninth season or something. So the fact that he's like literally giddy talking about the running backs, I think it's a pro, probably a pretty good sign. And then to kind of tie into what Ryan was talking about earlier with the interior, the defensive line asked Todd Bates about Isaiah Coe and just, him kind of making that next step because they, they need him to. And you know, Todd Bates basically was like, there's a lot of room for growth there. Like there you can see it. Like I I feel like he has the ability to uh to really improve a lot basically going into next season. So that's exciting to hear if you're an Oklahoma fan and interested to see what that looks like. Because Isaiah Coe is one of those guys that's just physically imposing. You know, we talk to him, it's always great to talk to him. He's got a great personality, things like that. You just you kind of want to see that elevate into being a dude-dude. A because dude. Todd Bates was honest, and he was like, I'm going to miss Jalen like That That stinks that I don't have him anymore, and things like that. So we'll see how that shakes out. We'll see how that shakes out. But lots of good stuff from the last week or so. Yeah, so we talked to
1: Brent on Wednesday, but we podcasted on Tuesday last week, which right. means we're just now being able to recap last week's stuff. We didn't ever get to the Robert Spears-Jennings injury. Big mm. spring for uh, RJ. It's just uh, – Shock, not shocking, um, I, we, we watched Monday's practice, right? and he was out there making plays, intercepting the footballs, um, going through all the drills, and then we talked to Brent on Wednesday, and he's shut down for the rest of spring, going to have shoulder surgery. I guess he had shoulder surgery last Tuesday, so uh, that's too bad because, it, like I said, big, it was going to be a big spring for him. He's got an opportunity to really make a statement this this spring. Uh, I don't think he's going to fall off the depth chart because he's not practicing, but he's going to lose reps, which would have made him better. So that's that's too bad for him. I was looking forward to, to a possible big fall out of him. And that's not to say it can't happen. He's he's certainly capable of doing sure. that. Um, but uh, you mentioned Javante Barnes is another one out there rolling around on his scooter. Uh, as we mentioned uh, last in on last week's pod, well, he's had the surgery on his foot, out for the rest, or I should say procedure, I guess is the way Brent talked about it, um, described it. Uh, he's out for the rest of spring and a couple other guys are missing spring. Their names escape me at the moment, but, uh, Gentry Williams was back. That's always good. Peyton Bowen was back from his family tragedy, of course. Uh, and it was interesting too, the way Brent described that, the way guys are just wrapping their arms around Peyton Bowen, lifting him up, supporting him. Uh, that's always good to see for a team like this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's good to see, and I, I think it's been kind of interesting how they've managed some of the stuff, because the way they talked about the Barnes injury, it's something that he had been dealing with, so they wanted to get him some physical practices into spring and then be like, okay, you're good. Now we can do this so you'll be mopped up and be like 100% uh, ready to be to hit the summer really hard. The the Spears Jennings thing as well. like You can tell this stuff only happens when you are physical and you're hitting every day in practice, which uh-huh. is something I just... I go back to when we talked to Jordan Kelly. I can't remember if it was before the opener last year or the week after between week one and two where he was asked just about the physicality difference and he just like took a second and laughed and he's like, yeah, it's night and day. And, and I think that speaks to why Oklahoma wore down last year, why in the OU Texas postgame, Brett was talking about that the team maybe looked tired and, and it takes time to build up not just – like the strength and conditioning, but your body to have that almost callous nature of, oh, we hit every practice. This is what happens when, when you're being physical every single day from the sure. spring into the fall, midweek, Saturdays, all that.
1: Another thing Brent said that caught my attention was Makari Vickers has been really good. He said he's learning. He's it is interesting the way he phrased it. He said, you got to get beat. You got to make some mistakes. You got to go get beat so you can learn. And Macari Vickers, true freshman, right, shows up in the spring. Seatbelt. Nothing's nobody's expecting him to to play this this year. And here's Brent Venables in the spring saying, "Oh, I want to talk about Macari Vickers. Uh, he's getting beat in the spring, but he's learning, and the way he's learning is uh, you know impressive. So good for him."
0: Absolutely, and I recommend if you haven't seen it. Obviously, like we said, it was uh, you know middle of last week. But if you haven't seen it, uh, everything Venables said. Is on the site. It's on whose YouTube page as well. So go check out uh, the full interview with Bart Venables. All the interviews, Beaton Bo, Gabriel, all the guys on Monday, they're all there for you. So if you want to go check out everything they said, they're all there. All right, we'll go ahead and take a time out. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the open practice a little bit. I was the only one of the three of us that was there. but I'll touch on some of the things that I saw. You guys can chime in however you feel. And then, of course, Oklahoma's landed another quarterback recruit in 2024 this time. We'll talk about that as well next right here on the All Sooners podcast.
1: Hey, it's John Hoover from my friends at Trade Pros. Spring's right around the corner, and you're gonna need to make sure your air conditioning system is running right. So right now, through the end of March, Trade Pros is offering a $25 spring tune-up. Now that's a $100 value, but this month only $25 bucks. The Spring Tune Up is a comprehensive preventive maintenance check. They're going to do a full system diagnostic. They're going to check your Freon levels. They're going to make sure that your amperage on your system is where it's supposed to be. Heating and air systems can be complicated. And you want to know that your electronics are running at peak efficiency as the weather gets warmer. So just call Michael at Trade Pros 405 593 1585 or go to tradeprosokc.com.
0: On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore sooners. Ryan's underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at John E. Hoover? I'm at Josh M. Callaway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a fan nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, segment two, we'll dive into the open practice a little bit from earlier this week. I was the only one of the three of us there. Now you guys have seen clips and videos and whatever else, so you can chime in however you see fit. One little housekeeping thing, I just want to make sure I didn't forget. Who mentioned Peyton Bowen last segment? There were five guys returning punts in practice yesterday, and I wanted to get those out there: Billy Bowman, Angel Anthony, Drake Stoops, LB Bunkley Shelton, and Peyton Bowen. Kind of interesting. I don't know if uh, how likely it is that that Peyton would be returning punts this year, but it certainly seems like something that could be in the cards for him down the road. So that's kind of exciting. An interesting little group there. Lots of guys who are kind of like totally different. <laughs> Like, I, I don't know if any two of those guys you would say are really alike. So that's kind of an interesting group. And uh, that competition is going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. You're replacing Marvin Mims, who did it forever. you know. Yep. What I mean? So that's kind of interesting, a little under-the-radar battle there. You have a favorite? Um, yeah. What If you would, had told
1: me, okay, who if you get to pick four guys to return punts on this team, I would have picked those first four. I don't know if I would have picked LV Sh- Bunkley Shelton just because we don't have any uh, we sure. don't have any tape on him that would have, that I know of, of him being great at return of punts. Those other guys all did it in, at either an extremely high level in high school or have done it in college. So, um, yeah, Andrell Anthony and Stoops are your big play versus sure hands guys, I think. And then uh, you're going to get a handful out of either Bowman or Bowen. Uh, Bowen was fantastic at it in high school, so watch out uh-huh. for him.
2: Yeah, I, I, I would want – either Billy Bowen or, or Peyton Bow with the ball in their hands just because we've seen what they can do. Uh, Andrew Anthony, he had a really funny story about part of why he got on the hands team at Michigan is because his best friend, J.J. Hemming was returning punts and he just would go over there to hang out with him, basically, and then he he picked up on it. So uh, interesting origin story for the Andre Anthony punt return, but he certainly got that speed. I just... It's hard for you to ignore what we saw from a guy like Peyton Bowen all throughout high school. Sure. Same with Billy. Uh just maybe that's us being a little biased knowing that it was just a, a hop, skip, and a jump down I-35 South to to watch that
0: as opposed <laughs> to going to go up to Michigan to to watch Andrell. I will add too, they did some kickoff return stuff as well. It was a few of the same names, but also tossing Jalo Farouk into the mix um when it came to kickoff returns. He wasn't doing the puns, but he was doing the kickoffs. So we'll see. We'll see. It seems like Farouk and Bowman in the few reps that I saw of them doing returning kicks or the guys doing the kickoff returns. I don't know if that means it's going to be the two guys back there, but it seemed like two probably pretty heavy candidates for that. So we'll see how that stuff kind of shakes out. We'll see what they toss out there in the spring game, which, like we said, is next weekend. Now, also with the open practice, I referenced it earlier. It was sick. It was awesome. They they did some goal line. They and Now, they didn't do a ton. It was like six or seven total plays. But they brought them over to field two, um, and they did inside the five full on, full speed goal line plays. It was pretty, pretty nice. Got some, some really legit collisions. The two best plays were Caleb Hicks, who I've been talking about how much I've liked the entire, um, you know, spring practice, just breaking through the line and scoring one. He looked really awesome. I, I just, again, I can't believe that guy's a freshman. And then the play that everybody's talking about, Desaw McCullough comes through and just absolutely blows up. I think it was Tawi Walker in the backfield for like a five yard loss. Those are the two plays that got everybody like, ooh, but that just seeing the goal line was awesome. Um, but yeah, those two plays really stuck out, I think, to me. And the McCullough one obviously made made waves as you would expect.
1: You know, Desan has that kind of natural ability, six foot five, two hundred, and probably about thirty pounds right now. He's got that natural ability that a lot of people who find themselves in that situation just don't have. Like you beat your guy or your guy reads wrong and he steps inside and leaves you one-on-one with the running back. Uh, You're supposed to turn into Jadavion Clowney there and and knock his helmet off. And you know what I mean? He's supposed to destroy him. A lot of people don't do that. So whether there was a mistake made, a misread or something, a big error on the front, doesn't matter if you've got the ability to turn in a play like that in a college football game. All of a sudden, the crowd gets crazy. The fans get crazy. The sideline goes wild. The momentum surges in your favor. Those are huge. So if you've got the ability to do that, uh, that's going to put you on the field. Now, is he a perfect player? No, he's going to make mistakes. He's still learning the game at linebacker at, at, at uh, Cheetah, right? But, boy, when you see him do that, you're thinking, okay, he, that's not the last time he's going to do that.
2: Yeah, and that goal line stuff is in a spot that he's probably a little bit more familiar with, right? As far as being really close to the line of scrimmage, coming in in what he played at Indiana. And that almost got me thinking, not just the goal line stuff, but whether Oklahoma, we know that over the last, feels like decade, they've struggled to get off the field on third down, that is this defense finally going to have a little bit of teeth coming off the edge in in a third-and-short situation, uh, a lot of teams are going to stay on the field and and go for it on fourth down anyway. So in those third-and-fourth-and-shorts, can he be maybe a difference maker, him and like a a trace forward on the other side of the ball that that could help maybe bow up Oklahoma and give them a little bit more strength and the ability to get off the field on some of those third-and-fourth downs? Because whether the tempo gets adjusted or not, uh, that would be what the, the just responses from Ted roof and Brent Venables all year last year was, we don't care, get off the field and you don't have to play as many snaps. Can, can that be a situation trying to pull that away from the goal line in third and fourth and shorts.
0: I'm very interested in the Desan McCullough usage. Just, you know, we've all kind of, uh, locked him into that cheetah spot, but is he going to rush the passer more than I think we all kind of maybe thought, you know, kind of a thing. Um, he told he me in February he can that kind of he's, fit into, uh, you know, you can kind of mold him into whatever you want. You know, he's yeah. one of those types of guys. So how does that end up working out is, is interesting. Yeah.
1: So he told me in February when I asked him that question, I said, what other coaches are, are you working with all the coaches? He said, yeah, I'm working with Co- Coach Bates mm. uh, and, and Coach Chavis on the defensive line. Now, this was during coaching stations, right? This was during uh, individual drills that are sure. not necessarily football practice, but – um, I think they'll start him at Cheetah and and see what he can do. And if putting your eleven best players on the field means sliding him to edge and putting uh, Justin Harrington at Cheetah, if that's your best eleven, then that's how you that's how you roll with it. If he's out there making plays in the back in the opponent's backfield to a to a pace that was more than Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs last year, then that's what they'll do.
0: Yeah, and then it's elsewhere on the open practice, I mean, just some, a few other guys that just kind of stuck out. I mean, I mentioned earlier, Jackson Arnolds looked better every time, uh, getting out there, uh, reiterate that. And another guy we've talked about over spring, but Cole McKenzie looks really good too. Every time. Um, I feel like maybe a little bit of a hot take. I don't know. I feel like he may be more ready to contribute this year than, than Jaron Canick is, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. I know, like, everybody's very excited about Jaron Canick, and rightfully so. Man, Cole McKenzie just has the size and the the look to him, and just I don't know. He's he's impressed me every time. He sticks out every time, and so it's just kind of you know I don't know. Excited to see him. I think there's there's a path for him to be on the field a lot. I think because I mean you got Stutzman and McCullough. Those guys are gonna be there, but who's who's filling the rest of the shoes? I don't know why that couldn't be Cole McKenzie. So excited to see him as well. Um, like I said, I was the only one there. But is there anything else that you guys gleaned? from afar, you wanted to touch on, but moved on?
2: Nah, it, uh, it was dominated by the goal line. That that, that, is mean, what, that, was everything. that That's yeah. what flooded which the zone, which was a ton of fun.
0: It was great. It was great. And like I said, Dylan Gabriel did a few plays. Jackson Arnold did a few plays. No other quarterbacks did any. Do with that what you will. Do with that what you will. Speaking of quarterbacks, Oklahoma and Wait a won. minute. Are you saying Jackson Arnold is the new belldozer? <laughs> you could see Number 10.
2: He <laughs> is number 10. <laughs> You know what you could figure out? If he was uh, in front of 80,000 people in a spring scrimmage, if he can catch the snap on a, on a short yardage. <laughs> that that was step one for Caleb Williams. He had to catch snaps before he could wreck the entire OU season locker room with controversy of whether he should start or not.
0: Very, very true. When did he uh, did he drop the snap in the first game, or was that later? I remember he did to K-State was one State. of yeah, them. Yeah. Purple. I got purple on, on the brain. Yeah. Um. That feels like just a million years ago. <laughs> um, it <does. laughs> On quarterbacks, they landed a quarterback. We talked about him multiple times on the show. Michael Hawkins officially commits to Oklahoma. Over the weekend, it was between OU and TCU in his final two. Everybody felt pretty good about OU's chances there for a while, and they finally do get him. Of course, his dad played at OU in the early 2000s as a defensive back. From McKinney, Texas, number 19 QB in the class. He's a four-star. He's not as highly touted as Jackson Arnold is in his respective class, or as highly touted as we think Kevin Sperry will be when that time comes. But he is a very good player. His highlights are on um, He has a lot to like. He's a legacy player at Oklahoma. And the fact that he chooses OU, despite the fact that they have Arnold there, and you have Sperry coming up behind him, I think says a little bit about his, you know, attitude, his temperament, and that kind of thing. So, We'll get into kind of the ripple effects and how we think this is all going to shake out in a second, but just first, I guess, your imp- reaction impressions to Michael Hawkins, the player, and what kind of a get it is for Oklahoma to bring him in.
1: There's so many tendrils to his recruitment that are yeah. fascinating to me. Uh, number one, as you mentioned that his dad played at OU in 2002. He played defensive back. He was on those defenses with Brent Venables as the defensive coordinator. Uh, he was in the same recruiting class as Jeff Lebby, who is now the offensive coordinator, uh, which is, he's the quarterback. I mean, this is all fascinating stuff. He, uh, is trained by Kyler Murray's dad, Kevin Murray. Okay. That's his quarterback trainer, right? Uh You got to trust that he knows what he's doing, right? Kyler Murray's dad. Are you kidding me? Come on. He's one of the best in the DFW. Um, he was recruited at Arkansas by Kendall Bryles. Okay. He loved Kendall Bryles. He wanted to go to, he was really, really thinking about going to Arkansas because of the relationship he had with Kendall Bryles and that coaching staff. Kendall Bryles comes to TCU. He starts thinking, okay, maybe I can start thinking about TCU, stay in the DFW. He starts looking at this uh, from that perspective. But he said, he, I think he told Parker Thune from 24-7, the love just wasn't there. That uh, that at TCU like it was at Arkansas. So it's been really Oklahoma in the lead, even though he's flirted a lot with TCU. He's given TCU a million chances. Uh, It's been Oklahoma in the lead Mm -hmm. for his services for about a year now. Um, And then his high school coach at Allen before he transferred over to to Frisco, his high school coach at Allen was uh, Chad Morris. What? Yeah, Yeah, the same Chad Morris who produced Chandler Morris, of course, who was the former head coach, offensive coordinator, all this stuff, right? And one of the guys who recruited – one of the guys who coached his dad in high school is Tim Beck, former Texas offensive coordinator, former Nebraska offensive coordinator. So there's so many – this kid has been around – think about it now. All those names I just mentioned, he's been around extremely high-level college football uh, and high school football for his entire life. So anybody who thinks he's not going to come in and be an immediate – upgrade or not. I'm not saying he's going to be an upgrade from Jackson Arnold or anything like that. He's not taking a step back. He's not. This is, Michael Hawkins does not take a step back to anybody that Oklahoma's recruited. He's a great high school football player, has every reason to be to come into OU and be a good good college football player as well.
2: Also kind of a minor upset to still consider Arkansas while having a relationship with Chad Morris. I don't know what that uh, conversation is like in your ear, but that's a minor (laughs) upset. Uh, The the thing that stuck out to me for him is just you pilfer through a lot of, of high school highlight tapes doing this stuff like that. And it's not often that you see quarterbacks that look just as comfortable rolling out and throwing on the run as they do when things are on schedule in, in the pocket and, Look, he's not Jackson Arnold. It doesn't look like Jackson Arnold. He's not as consistent as Jackson Arnold is and when Jackson Arnold had his highs, when you're kind of looking at his high school stuff. But he's still really good, can accurately deliver on the run, and it really fits. like w- What we've known of Jeff Lebby is Dylan Gabriel at UCF was pretty mobile. Matt Corral, obviously pretty mobile. Last year was kind of the outlier with Gabriel, and I think that had more to do with who was not behind him, which was a backup Oklahoma trusted, you're you're seeing that very clearly like you, you turn that film on, and you're like, Yeah, I see why Jeff Levy leapt at this, right? As far as the accuracy paired with his ability to kind of deliver on the run. Then obviously when he gets downfield and tucks it himself, he can make plays. But I'm always just really impressed when you've got a guy that young that that looks as comfortable rolling out and delivering accurately as they do when when everything's uh going according to plan in the pocket.
1: It's interesting to me, too, that, you know, Lincoln Lincoln's um, quarterback recruiting philosophy, we all know it by now, was get the top guy every other year, right? Skip yeah. a year, skip a year. Let those guys come in and develop, get comfortable, not be so scared of the competition that they hit the transfer portal in the year one. You know, let, put a little gap in between there. Levy's not backing down from the one – elite quarterback every year kind of thing (laughs) and it's pretty awesome if you if you consider if you go all the way back to when he first got here he recruited nick evers uh then he lands jackson arnold then he gets his 25 and now he's got his 24 you know kevin sperry and and michael hawkins he's not afraid of putting these guys in the mix in the frying pan and saying let's see you know what you got it's uh I, i it's gonna be what it's gonna be, meaning guys who fall down the depth chart are going to transfer, and guys who don't fall down the transfer who who don't fall down the depth, depth chart are probably gonna be in the discussion for a Heisman at some point.
2: Well, I, I think too, just real quick, the way that the quarterback position has gone, it doesn't matter whether that's a five star guy that falls down the depth chart or a three star guy. If you're the third string quarterback, you're probably out anyway. You you know what I mean? And so um. that that was always the weird train of thought is like Look, if you bring in two five stars back to back, whoever doesn't win the job is going to transfer out anyway. If you bring in a three star, he might stay to get his three year degree and then transfer to have two years. Well now that everyone's got a free transfer, they're out too. So why would you not if you're gonna have a rotating door quarterback room, why wouldn't you want it to be as talented as possible for the ones that
0: do stick? I think this reaffirms, you know, just kind of overall, you know, and he didn't have like a picture perfect first year, obviously, but I think it reaffirms that Like the 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 OU fans that that wanted Jeff Levy gone or weren't happy with his first year, wanted him ousted or whatever, are ridiculous. Because look what he's able to do. The the quarterback recruiting is not missing a beat after he lost Lincoln Riley. You're still getting top end guys literally every year. Like to to whose point? Four in a row already. Levy has locked up twenty two through twenty five, a high end quarterback. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And a that, little over that's a not year. just a like given. That's not just like automatic. That it's just, oh, Oklahoma just gets that. That's not how it works. It's who's there making it happen. And Jeff Levy's making them happen.
1: Jeff, uh, you know, we get, we get Jeff, we get exposure to Jeff in interview settings and press conference settings. He comes across as very plain and very dry, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Straightforward, not entertaining, you know, not, not, outgoing not uh, funny or anything like that uh, he can be funny I mean he's cracked some jokes in the press conference but we're we don't get to see that side of him that the recruits obviously do because when you talk to Kevin Sperry or you talk to Michael Hawkins or you talk to Jackson Arnold specifically or Nick Evers last year when I, when I talked to him oh Jeff Levy this Jeff Levy that Jeff Levy up down all around and just, right. they couldn't they can't get enough of this Jeff Levy they are in love with the guy and the way he coaches quarterbacks the way he Coach's offense and recruits and so I kind of want to see that side of Jeff Levy in the press conference. Jeff, if you're watching, my man, <laughs> let it go. Let your hair down. We want to see the the recruit side of Jeff Levy.
2: Well, we we get the the no BS, and, and I don't mean like that he doesn't speak in coach speaks. There's a lot of coach speak. There's a lot of I'm saying words and and it actually is gonna be <laughs> nothing as far as information goes, which is a a skill every coach rolls out there. That's not really it, like it is what it is. But I also think that he also – it's like doesn't have a lot of time for I'm not here to entertain the the weird and kooky stuff. And I think that an element of that probably though is what you get with these guys when he talks about if you're going to continue to recruit talented guys, they're going to want that side of you that's the no BS of like, yeah, we've got a lot of talent in this room and you're going to have to come in and compete. And, and I think that you have to be able to approach that because – recruits aren't stupid they know what's happening they know what's going on they can see the rankings they can look through the classes look through your roster stuff like that so i wonder how much too like we don't get to see the the building the relationship side of jeff levy but that kind of no bs like i'm all business like i feel like at some point that flip is switched as well because that's something that all those guys talk about is like jackson what was the message i'm going to come in learn from dylan gabriel and compete You, you know when we you talk to kevin sperry going to come in and compete. You know what? Nothing's earned, that kind of thing. And I think that, that that's a weird blend, but we get to see one half of it, which is why uh, none of us are ready to commit to play quarterback at Oklahoma, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. He uh,
1: he comes from the Art Bryles tree. And I know Art Bryles is a uh, public enemy number one right now and all that villainous and all that. But from the days of interviewing Art Bryles when he was the head coach at Baylor, everybody walked out of there. Usually, usually, there were a couple of instances where he, he got sideways with people, but usually you walked out of an interview with Art Bryles thinking that guy was hilarious. That guy was engaging and he was funny. Come on, man. Be like art. We want to see the other Something, side of it. Not,
0: not in all way. Not in, not in all
1: not, <laughs> not in that
0: way. Um, yeah, I mean I I get to see it like a tiny bit, you know, at games, because also there's always a lot of recruits there, you know, in like pregame or whatever, they flood the sidelines. So you get to see him interact with guys a little. And he comes up and he, you know, big smile, daps guys up, and you you see it a little, but I agree. I mean, it's like it doesn't really match what the guys say about him it doesn't match what we see all the time. And not that, you know, he's 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 fine, you know, but it'd be interesting to see uh yeah, like a little peek behind the curtain in that recruiting how that looks when he's in somebody, some kid's living room. You know what I mean? Um, Maybe he's
1: saving it for when he's a head coach.
0: Perhaps, perhaps that day will, will come eventually. Um, yeah. Let's forecast the, uh, let's forecast it a little bit. So you have Arnold, uh, presumably taking over next year, right? I mean, that, that, that's what Oklahoma would like. Oklahoma would like Dylan Gabriel to have a good year. He's the quarterback all year. There's no controversy. He goes to the NFL. And then Jackson Arnold is your starting quarterback in 2024. First year in the SEC. That's Oklahoma's probably picture perfect scenario. How does it play out from there as you feel today? Does is Arnold is Hawkins going to fit in? Is Sperry gonna fit in? Does Hawkins end up transferring? Does this just a backup plan? If Arnold ends up not being what we think he is? Uh spin it. Spin it. What 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 are some thoughts on how this is all going to shake out? Because odds are Arnold, Hawkins, Sperry, all three of these guys are not going to play multiple years at OU as the starting quarterback. There just isn't room for that to happen. So how do you think this kind of shakes out when it's all said and done?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, the pat answer would be the best quarterback each year is going to be the starter. Okay, simple as that. Right. Now, who's that going to be? Man, I have no idea. I have no idea. Jackson Arnold is going to play some this year, I would think. I think he's going to be the backup. I would think he's going to be getting in games, and and he's going to play more than the redshirt four games limit. Okay, he's going to be the backup. I, that's That's what I think. Next year, yeah, the job is supposed to be his. Um, How does Michael Hawkins feel about that being a true freshman who is the backup? And then the following year, Jackson Arnold's big year, his his junior season, right? Michael Hawkins is a sophomore, and then you've got Kevin Sperry coming in for his freshman year. Michael Hawkins is saying, hey, I've been here for a whole year. I'm the backup now. Can Sperry come in and take that job away from him? Or is Uh that competition going to rage on for two years until – at some point they both transfer. They both get mad at the coach for getting screwed over and they both trans. You know what I mean? I mean, I've seen guys, I've covered enough quarterback competitions at OU to, to watch that very scenario unfold to where the two guys come in, compete for the job. Neither one of them's any good. And they both leave. I've seen it. So not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying, stop putting all your eggs in one guy's basket. Anything could happen.
2: Yeah. It's, probably early for me to be full comfortable figure out what Sperry is going to be as kind of the finished product. Cause you know, sure. he is a couple of years out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just feel very confident that Jack started in 2024 and 2025 will give Hawkins a year to get acclimated as a freshman and give Sperry a year to get acclimated as a freshman, just because um, the, the, did the Spencer Rattler thing work out for Oklahoma? No. But if Caleb Williams wasn't behind him, he would have finished out the the 2021 season as Oklahoma starter. And we've seen, as far as like getting that year to, to be the guy, your freshman year, stuff like that, that's usually hit. It's been the, do you, do you take that, does, did Spencer Atley take the 2020 season and take it to another level in 21? No. So I think that we'll see Jack Snartle next year, and it'll be then on Jack Snartle in 2025 to... Whatever we get to see in his first year in the SEC, how does he spend that on and take that to another level to either become the highly touted draft pick or he, he comes back and plays a third year at Oklahoma?
1: Ryan, I'm glad you mentioned the two quarterbacks who left last year, uh Rattler and, and Caleb. You could not the way the guys that they're recruiting right now, again, starting with Nick Evers last year, the guys they're recruiting right now could not be further personality wise away from those two in terms of who they, who they are and who they think they are, uh, these next three quarterbacks that are coming in and Evers who left to, to Wisconsin, uh, these next three guys are, um, they're just cut completely mm-hmm. different, completely different mold, uh, you know, in terms of what they think about themselves. I'll just leave it that way. Do they have that ability? Do they have first yeah. round Heisman ability? Maybe we'll have to wait and see how they develop, but just in terms of how they approach their teammates and their community and the games themselves and the coaching staff and themselves. Um, yeah, different, different dudes, completely different dudes.
2: Quick sidebar. Uh, have you guys seen the hype machine behind Spencer Rattler coming out of spring? Where was it? God, was it yeah, Feldman it was to put like out the there that they're worked. hearing great things or Matt Fortuna? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, Spencer Rattler in the... Blue, green, whatever it is at South Carolina, the I-can't-get-hit jersey, that's never been the question is if Spencer Rattler looks pretty throwing the football in shorts in the spring. It's uh, the fall that that matters. It's, it's, sure. Call me skeptical on buying these. Spencer Rattlers is going to suddenly kick it into high gear in year
0: four. You know, it, it just seems like to me, you know, we've talked about it many times. I think Jackson Arnold is going to be a guy that's going to be a big-time player at OU. So – presumably he takes over next year he gets probably a co- just two years probably because he's going to be ready he's eligible for the draft at that point and you would think that's probably something that'll be on the table for him after two years as the starter and then it's going to just come down to a couple simple things of is Michael Hawkins willing to wait two years because he'll be here next year right so is he going to is he willing to sit around for for multiple years and then if he is It'll probably just be as simple as it's a, it's a battle. It's a Hawk and sperry battle, and uh, probably winners your quarterback, loser probably portals, because that's how college ball works um, in this day and age. So it's going to be fun to see how it, how it shakes out. One thing that they've done here that Lincoln Riley, like we said, didn't just refused to do is they left themselves some wiggle room. Because if, like I said, if Arnold happens to not work out, which we all think he's going to be great, but if he ends up not being what we think, you have another guy right there. Hawkins is coming in next year, so you have another guy that you can feel good about, potentially. Same thing goes for Sperry if Hawkins isn't being what you hope for, and vice versa. You know what I mean? So having some wiggle room, some cushion, not a bad thing. Something that Lake Riley did not prescribe to at all. Yeah, um, Not not a bad thing. So we'll see how that, and, how and that uh, looks.
1: In terms of long-term... I don't attend these college football practices like I used to, right? So we get to watch the video. We get to. We don't get to see like constant interact. The coaches know, and the wide receivers know, mm-hmm. and the offensive linemen and the running backs know. You would think that, and and we've said this before, and it holds some merit. You would think that the quarterbacks know who's the better quarterback, right? You would think that they would know how this is shaking out. Well, Hawkins is better than me. I'm just. I'm never going to play in front of him. I'm going to transfer. Okay. I don't think that's how quarterbacks think. If we think about how Rattler thought about his season in 2021, he's like, why am I being benched? We're five and zero because you keep throwing interceptions. You keep throwing it to the wrong team. You keep costing your offense uh, possessions. Uh, and Caleb Williams, he didn't understand why he was benched against Baylor when they went down there and he couldn't figure out Baylor. He was like, what am I doing wrong? You know, there's uh, I'm I'm the quarterback. I'm the star. Some people, some quarterbacks, I should say, don't. Look at the world the same way everybody else does. Like, I'm not that guy. You stop blaming me. And blaming yeah. the quarterback is all we got sometimes.
0: Yeah, a couple of years later, and Spencer Rattler is still baffled as to why he was benched in that Texas game, which is. <laughs> we <enough>. were 5 0. <laughs> Everyone else, it's quite obvious. And it's also quite obvious that it was the right move because Caleb Williams <laughs> led him on a Herculean comeback. But uh, yeah, he's still, he's still like, is just like, I don't get it. I don't understand why he did that. That was weird. like, like what? <laughs> Um, pretty clear why he did it. Um, so yeah, gonna be fun. Anything else you want to add, Ryan?
2: No, no. I think we. Uh, it'll be fun to see this all kind of pan out over the next couple of years because it's just something that we didn't all get right. to see that that logjam happened the last few
0: years. So gonna be interesting. Gonna be interesting. Gonna be fun. All right. We're gonna take time out here. We'll hit some other sports. Basketball's got no players. Um, they've lost a couple more. We'll talk about that as well as wrapping we no up. Coaches. Yeah, it just. I don't know who's even there. Um, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll wrap up the weekend. If for you call you.
1: the basketball office right now, Porter Moser's going to answer.
0: <laughs> he's the, yeah, he's <laughs> the trainers. He's the coach. He's the full <laughs> roster. He's the SID. He does it all. Um, we'll wrap up that and we'll wrap up the weekend for the Diamond Sports as well and then send you on your way. So take time out. Final segment coming up next year on the All Sooners Podcast.
1: Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners.
0: Final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Hit some other sports here, and we'll send you on your way into your mid-April weekend. Starting with hoops, like I said... Uh, they got no players. Uh, Grant Sherfield entered the NBA draft as expected. We just were, we was just really a question of portal or draft for him. We've, there was never any feeling he would be back. He's in the draft, and Jacob Groves is in the portal. So if you're keeping count, Tanner Groves graduated. Jalen Hill has portaled. Jacob Groves has portaled. Benjamin Schroeder has portaled. Joe Bamis Hill has portaled. B.J. Cortez has portaled. C.J. Nolan has portaled. And Grant Sherfield has transferred. That's pretty much everyone outside of the two freshmen last year, Suzan and Otega. Oh, well, they did get Sam Godwin back. <laughs> um, so you have three guys that played last year that are back, essentially. Um, did you get Jacob Groves? Yeah, Jacob yeah. Groves is in there as well. I mentioned him. Because
1: Tanner graduated.
0: Tanner graduated. Jacob is in the portal looking for a new team. it be his third team. Um, I mean, we don't – you know, last week, obviously, Sherfield and Groves hadn't officially left yet, but we had all kind of assumed they were going to. So we kind of were able to almost talk about it in, like, theory last week. But, I mean, you know, it, the, the team is a full rebuild again. Um, they have nobody back. They, it's a full-blown – like, Porter Moser's got a lot of work to just to fill out the team, just to get bodies, let alone a team that's going to be competitive and a Big 12 that's only getting better because they're bringing in Hello, Houston – and Cincinnati, you know, good basketball programs. UCF's been solid recently. BYU as well. Solid. But it's not getting easier. Um, I mean what can you say? They have no they have no players. It's 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 I the basketball team is just in a total upheaval mode, uh, currently.
2: Yeah, it it wouldn't be as big of a sirens panic mode thing, because like this is happening to a lot of other teams across the country if Porter Moser wasn't such a big proponent of you got to build, you got to build, you can't be investing in guys and have them transferred out. Well, nothing has been built in Norman uh, under Porter Moser. He he's had to have massive numbers of portal guys every single off season. So next time we get to speak to him, I'm really looking forward to being like, okay, okay, that's not the reality of what you can do at Oklahoma. You might have been able to build at Loyola. You might there might be spots in this country you can build in college basketball, but Oklahoma for you Porters clearly not been. So what's that evolution going to be? How are you going to adapt? How are you going to adjust? Do you have to change your style to make this team more appetizing to, to players in the portal? Or do you have to change your coaching styles being more aggressive? That's what I'm kind of curious on because otherwise. There, there's no stability. There's not a ton of holdover. And the guys that are being held over, Milos Uzon, I really liked what he did a lot last year, but he's not like a primary scorer. He was distributor, really nice. Otega Owe is not a primary scorer. He, do- he doesn't have that kind of uh, refined offense. So there's going to be a lot of development from those guys, or you're going to go get big pieces in the portal. It's not just like get a center. It's like, no, you need two scores and a center that, that you won't just get used and abused down low, all that stuff. And uh, Porter shown no signs of being able to correctly make those evaluations in the portal, frankly.
1: You know, Brent Venables tells us all the time, or did in the, in the last year, at least the last football season, that he wants to strip this thing down to the studs. we got to strip it. He must have said that 20 times last year. we got to strip it down to the studs. Porter Moser would be thrilled to have studs up right now. Porter <laughs> Moser has to relay the foundation every year. He's imagine your homeowners association or the county commissioner or whatever. They give you a license to build a, a house, a structure, and you've got one year to do it. You got one year to get your house built. The first year they didn't make the NCAA tournament, Ramshackle House, right? Falling down, pieces hanging off everywhere. It didn't come up, wasn't up to code. Tear the whole thing down, tear the foundation out, relay the foundation, put the new studs up, put new walls up. Second year in a row, they didn't make the NCAA tournament. Again, not up to code. Your house is a piece of crap. You're embarrassing the homeowners association. They want you out of the neighborhood, basically. Got to tear (laughs) that thing down again. That's what Porter Motors, Motors is having to go through every year. It's unbelievable. So he talks Constantly about family and foundation, foundational building and all that stuff. When's it going to happen? When's it going to When's it going to even start to happen? Because every year we're seeing more and more guys leave by the portal or some other reason. You come into the portal, you leave through the portal. What What's going on? I don't un, I don't understand.
2: He's got a tent up There There is no house. It's just, He's got it's just a tent. <laughs> tent. Uh, and here's the other thing no too, sense. which um. Guys, he's not keeping assistance around. And one offseason where a couple where David Patrick gets a head coaching job and um KT Turner goes to Kentucky. Okay, that makes sense, except for it was Sacramento State and one year at and KT Turner, when you talked about taking that Kentucky job, it was the you can't turn down Kentucky, all that. One year later, he's the head coach at UT Arlington. That doesn't sound like the, oh my gosh, I just had to be at Kentucky and absorb that. That sounded like a I would like to have been in a different spot, and now I'm taking a very, very, very small potatoes head coaching job immediately. Um, sure. You had a coach who, for personal reasons, basically backed out and left the staff before the season even started. Like the shot doctor, yeah. At at some point, there's a common denominator, and everyone's leaving Norman, and one guy's still there. Like, at what point does that not become a very valid question to ask? Like, sure. I, again, it's all individual stuff. But nobody has stayed for more than two years, except for Emmanuel Dildy. He's like the only guy.
0: You know, not not to retread last week, but I continue to be struck by the Jalen Hill one, too. Because, I mean, he was the one guy. And not everybody spoke highly of of Porter. I don't want it to sound like the players just, like, hate him or something. That, that, that'd be disingenuous. All the players say they like to play for him. But Jalen Hill was one guy who always went out of his way to see how much he liked playing for Porter. And then he still ends up leaving. You know, we went to the offseason. I think the optimism, or the the only the, the spin zone that you had was if you can find a way to retain Jalen Hill and Graham Sherfield with the freshmen you've coming in, the and the two freshmen last year you retain them, Owa oh, and Uzon, you make some portal additions, you've got some some pieces here to maybe improve, you know, pretty quickly, but you didn't do that. You you know Hill and Sherfield are both gone. You didn't retain anybody that like. Was a question mark? Uh, obviously, Uzon. Oh well, anybody could leave at any time, but nobody thought those guys were necessarily going to leave, and they lost everybody else. So, yeah, it's rough. We'll see what happens. They need to start making some additions soon, just for morale. <laughs> I mean, just, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, they were gonna if they had a practice today, and I know that that's not how it works. They're not practicing right now, but if they had a practice today, would they have like bodies to to even do it? Like it'd just be like one on one. They don't have guys. No,
2: they couldn't. You'd be asking, <laughs> can, is Yaya Akita healthy again? Is Luke Northweather like sure. guys that have not played basketball for Oklahoma are going to be key contributors in that practice? <laughs> Theoretically. I saw yeah, here's,
1: the, here's the thing, guys. Joe Castiglione's perspective on this is this is a front porch sport. This is one of the sports that everybody talks mm-hmm. about nationwide. What's going on at Oklahoma with the basketball team? This isn't some minor sport where it's like, ah, We'll take a couple of years, try to find the right coach and we'll get it in here. We'll get everything laid in five years from now. It should be okay. You don't have that kind of leeway with men's college basketball. You got to fix it now. Um, if you're Porter Moser and Joe Stiglione is looking at that right now going who left, how many do we have left on the roster? Which, which coaches took which jobs? The Joe, Joe's probably, I'm, I'm not trying to speak for Joe. Maybe we can have him on the podcast someday and interview him, but, um, Joe is probably pulling his hair out with the frustrations that go along with Oklahoma basketball right now.
0: Not a good spot. No, not at all. Not at all. So we'll see uh, how things progress. Uh, I, it was funny. I saw it, it was John Rostin, I believe, who reported that um, Oklahoma is going to play North Carolina next year in that Jumpman Invitational. And so some of you fan replied, so, or some some OU fan replied something to the effect of so this is under the impression that we will be fielding a team next year. Or something <laughs> like that. So that's how it felt. And it's funny, is that if you the 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 guys down the road aren't having it much better. Oklahoma State has lost a lot as well. So it's like Bedlam next year is gonna be like Patrick with his drink. Who are you people? Like that's <laughs> what it's gonna be. That's what it's gonna be like next year The bedlam bedlam games, because it's both schools, just total overhauls. Uh, weird times. Weird times. Also, oh, uh, you playing think-
1: Providence in the Big East Challenge. We think they're going to play, right? In Norman,
0: yeah. Is that what – Pro- yeah, Providence, that's right. The Friars, for- which won't be Ed Cooley, which is a bit of a rumor.
2: Yeah, for once, Oklahoma got one of the uh, – there are no favorable draws for Oklahoma basketball right now, but it seems like they've gotten the, the worst into that Big East Challenge a couple of times.
0: Very true, very true. All right, moving on to uh, other sports. Softball. Um, swept Texas Tech over the weekend in Norman, and they beat LSU last night in Baton Rouge. Um, the the very layman's uh, takeaway here for for somebody like me, no run rules here, which is weird. Um, not, not something that you're used to. Four wins, and the wins are wins, but no run rules, which is very un- uncommon uh, for OU. Ryan, this is your account. Good week? It is okay week? What what do we make of
2: it? It's a uh, great week for the Oklahoma pitching staff. You mentioned the no-run rules. That series against Texas Tech was uh, Ryan Aber was crunching the numbers on press row. It was the first conference series, first Big 12 series that Bedlam doesn't count. So non-Bedlam Big 12 series where Oklahoma didn't notch a run rule across the three games since 2019 against texas so it's been mm. a couple of years since ou has played a big 12 series outside of bedlam and it hasn't been a run rule but that was Me a texas over. Tech offense that they haven't played anybody right but they were still ahead of oklahoma by one home run and like the the national home run derby and so for ou to not only surpass them and not only uh not let texas tech hit any home runs but to completely shut them out across three games that's really good uh but we saw on thursday someone finally did it someone finally stepped up and said screw this new pitcher every single inning and uh, <laughs> the oklahoma offense did not like that they patty gasso talked about how there were a ton of conversations in the dugout a ton of frustration a ton of who is this who is that and, and how she basically said cut that crap out these pitchers aren't that different. You've got to go up there and, and kind of be an athlete. And so I think that's going to be the story of this next little bit of Oklahoma season, starting with that Florida state game in the midweek, we saw teams start platooning the pitchers and LSU did that last night in Baton Rouge, uh, Oklahoma p- pounced on an error. Uh, Carly Petty, former Oklahoma state. Uh, she in the first baseman, is not able to connect, which allowed Jocelyn Erickson to reach base. Kinsey Hansen then drives her home. That's one run. Alyssa Brito hits a two-out home run that should not have, like she should have come up the next inning. Three unearned runs for the Sooners. That was it. The last 15 Sooner batters were retired as they were trying to figure out the LSU pitching staff. That's why you have Jordy Ball, right? Jordy Ball was unreal. 13 strikeouts. Only two LSU runners reached second base. Like that, that was the spot that they were in across seven innings. Two runners reached second base. And so the pitching staff has become – we talked a ton about the pitching staff and the defense. While this offense adjusts, the pitching staff is that much more important, and Oklahoma has a, like, who do you want, three absolute studs there in that rotation.
1: Yeah, they've got three aces they can count on, Ryan, and that's good because um, for some reason the bats continue to fall silent against inferior opposition, right, Texas Tech. And and then last night LSU. LSU's good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying LSU's some rumdum. I was very impressed by LSU's pitching and their defense, except for that second inning. Um, so they they were making plays, they were uh, they're they're a good team. I think they're gonna have a chance to make the college world series. They're very talented. So beating them 3-0, there's no shame in going on the road and beating LSU 3-0. But Patty's quote after the game, thank you, Patrick, for the quote was we've got to get this figured out. Our hitters have to get this figured out. They're one through four hole hitters who are as talented as anybody in the country. were are 0 for 11 last night. 0 for 11. And, you know, Jada Coleman's making a run for National Player of the Year. T.R. Jennings has been in the discussion when Jocelyn Olive's not knocking fences down for National Player of the Year, right? So they've got the talent. Grace Lyons is a two-time All-American. They've got the talent. They're having to rely right now heavily, heavily on the pitching and the defense. And they did again last night. If it, if it wasn't for pitching and defense last night, uh, shoot, they might still be playing. It might still be
2: 0-0. Yeah, and we say all of that, and here's the really twisted, demented thing. After last night, Oklahoma's now hitting three seventy three as a team that is first in the country by 12 points. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, that's, like, that's uh, Marshall Marshall is second in batting average at 361. Uh so it's still a, a gap between Oklahoma and everybody yeah. else. But Oklahoma's getting a unique treatment, right? Like um we we'll, we'll, we'll have more on that soon. Um at allsooners.com as I'm doing a lot of box score dumpster diving right now. But Uh, It's an adjustment. It's something that two years ago Oklahoma didn't face and last year Oklahoma didn't really even face. And it's going to be something that, like you saw, UCLA, if you've got a Megan Faramo, they're just going to throw Faramo, right? Oklahoma State, they're going to be confident to throw Kelly Maxwell. They're going to be confident to throw Lexi Kilfoyle. That's like a different situation. Uh, Baylor, when you get Orm, they're going to be confident to throw her. Everybody else on OU's schedule the rest of the year in the Big 12, it would be... It would be coaching malpractice for Kansas not to to play, uh, you know, the the pitching carousel. It, it like everybody else. If you don't have a legitimate ace, this should be the strategy because Oklahoma hasn't adjusted to it quite yet.
1: Yeah, those those three aces they have are going to ride them to another national championship. I'll be shocked if they don't win it because of those three girls. The batting will come around. I'm not worried about it. Did you see the the graphic that ESPN threw up during the game last night? When they said, are you looking for a three-peat? And they laid out the numbers for UCLA's three-peat, uh, you know, last century, whatever it was. And then uh, Oklahoma's chase for a three-peat this year were on the other side. Uh, the, the records were 163-19 and 19 for UCLA, 151-8 and eight currently through three seasons, two and a half seasons for Oklahoma. Uh. Batting average, 280 for UCLA, 386 for OU. I was like, wow, that's quite a difference. Runs per game, 3.7 for UCLA, 9.7 for OU. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> during this three-year stretch, it's pretty ridiculous. Now, this is the one that got me and obviously caught everyone's attention when I retweeted it. 25 home runs in three seasons for UCLA. 25? That's like Big 12 play for Jocelyn Allo, isn't it? Twenty-five yeah. home runs in three mm. seasons for for UCLA. OU has hit three hundred and eighty-five. <laughs> yeah, that the, doesn't uh, even seem real. The, like the, that's not of, Like that's not even video game numbers. Yeah. Uh, ERA was obviously in UCLA's favor: zero point four three to one point three five.
0: Offensive numbers, yeah.
1: One point three five is crazy. You make up for more than that one point three five difference in the ERA by hitting 385 bombs it's unbelievable
2: yeah it's uh that's what made it so interesting last year when we were trying everyone's having a discussion of was that the best softball team that's ever done it is having to pick through and say so the offensive numbers are so different than the 80s and 90s of college softball But when you look at like the great ucla the great arizona teams their pitching staffs were dominant But the gap between them and like the second, third, fourth best pitching staff in the country in those years was not as big as the gap between like Oklahoma's offense in the era of offense. And oh, by the way, Oklahoma still had the best pitching staff in the country last year. That's what makes it so interesting is it's the, the game is so different now. But what you're seeing, shoot, we just we just talked about the batting average. Oklahoma is within one point of overtaking Clemson for the number one ERA like by the time this Miami tournament is done this next weekend, Oklahoma is going to lead the country in batting average and team ERA again, which is what they basically did for most of the year last year.
1: And Beth Moyn said last night they still rank number one in defense. I didn't look it up. I'm just saying she said on the broadcast they still rank number one in fielding percentage. So that's not fair, Patty. It's not fair.
0: I'm just wondering if they're going to be like thrown off by having to play seven innings a few more, a few more times. Not something they're used to doing, especially four in a row. Twenty-eight innings in five days or six days or whatever it was. That's bizarre for them. So yeah, four shutouts. Unbelievable. That'll do. That'll do. So <laughs> they got uh yeah, this Miami of Ohio tournament, right, Ryan? Yeah. How, is it four it,
2: games? It's uh I think it's just three games, a pair Saturday and one Sunday. Oakland oh, okay. stinks, Miami of Ohio stinks, Louisville's a French top twenty-five team. It should I, I think Oklahoma's gonna enjoy the fact that. Here's the thing, Oakland and Miami of Ohio and Louisville should all three do the exact same pitching strategy that we've seen these last couple of weeks, but regardless of how Louisville does it, Oakland and Miami of Ohio, it it should be one of those things where, oh, they can roll through a bunch of pitchers and Oklahoma can still batter people, and uh, that maybe would be good for the confidence of kind of attacking that strategy, because this is not going to go away.
1: Yeah, Ryan, some teams don't have six pitchers.
2: Well, here's the thing with the COVID rosters: a lot of teams – they may not have six pitchers they're comfortable throwing, but they've got six pitchers. So you just gotta you gotta uh, change a little bit because like LSU didn't do a, a like they let a couple of pitchers go for two innings. So you make a couple of pitchers go for two innings, and then the rest just get your your quick in and out and see how that goes.
1: If you throw the wrong pitcher against this lineup, it could be six nothing real quick.
0: Yes, that's the thing yes enjoy uh enjoy a nice weekend in tropical sunny miami ohio <laughs> it should be a lot a lot of fun out there um all right wrapping up with a little bit of baseball here on the way out i don't know it's it's weird times right now they've had a really weird season um playing up against competition playing down against competition has kind of been the thing pretty good at home pretty awful on the road um kind of doing things that a young team would do in a lot of ways um Bad weekend in Waco. They lost two out of three to Baylor. They're now 1-5 against Kansas State and Baylor. Those are the two worst teams in the conference. Can't, can't have that. Um, and that's after they bludgeoned Oral Roberts in Tulsa on Tuesday. And Oral Roberts is good. They went in Tulsa and smoked them last Tuesday. Oral Roberts, who gave OSU fits last night in Stillwater. And then last night, Oklahoma at home rolled over Wichita State, who they'd already lost to twice. And they beat them 8-1 to one last night. Totally dominated the game last night in Norman. But, yeah, they're coming off another rocky weekend. Don't know what to make of them right now. Um, I mean, the spin zone here is that it it was right about this time where they started to take off last year. Things kind of started to fall into place. They got healthy. Oklahoma's hoping for something similar. They have good wins on the schedule. I mean, they do. But they also have some really egregious losses. So, I don't know. We'll see how things move forward. Big series this weekend. But, I don't know. Up and down is kind of the story right now. They got
1: their midweek maladies fixed, Josh. They were losing all the midweek row, games. Yeah. Now
0: they've won two in a row. Two in a row. Um, potentially. I mean, you got good pitching. The pitching is, is, yeah, a couple of Tuesdays in a row where you had some really nice outing. I mean, you hold Ole Roberts to two and you hold Wichita say to one. Those are, you're going to win those games. You know what I mean? More often than not. So we shall see. Texas Tech this weekend, who's a top 20 team, and uh, it's at home. At home, they've. This year at home they split with top ten Stanford. They took two or three from TCU. They've been pretty good in Norman. On the road has been where it's it's gotten sideways on them. So we'll see uh what they can do this weekend. What
2: is is it still just that like is this still a team that's losing the exact same way, or or has it been something different that's popping up, like in that Baylor series? Because for for a while there it was the the bullpen, then it seemed like they just couldn't mm. get like any offense going at, at like against Wichita State and like the loss.
0: Well, the question is still certainly to me the bullpen. Um Thursday, you know, they let they let the league get away um to lose the opener to Baylor. They can still, for the most part, score runs at a pretty, pretty high clip. They even with the injuries they've had in the lineup right now. Dakota Harris is still out, but he's supposed to be back soon. Easton Carmichael, we all talk about how great he was. He's out right now with with Mono. He's sick. So they've had to kind of just roll the punches. I mean, last night they moved Kendall Pettis up to the three-hole. Obviously, normally he's nine. And he went with two for three with a triple. They had a great game. They're, they're scoring runs. They they're, they can hit. This team can hit and score runs and, you know, still do the stuff they did last year, play small ball, lay down a bunt. All that stuff is still there. And the rotation is kind of starting to figure it out. Braxton Douthit's been really good. James Hitt's been pretty good last couple times out. They're starting to figure that out a little bit. But the bullpen, is still just you don't trust it. It's, it's really, really shaky they've moved Cale Davis to the bullpen from his Friday night role. Maybe that is kind of one of those missing ingredients type of things that they did last year. They made a lot of moving pieces and they took off. Maybe that's one of those things that we look at at the end of the year, like that move was, was huge. Time will tell. So the biggest question is the bullpen. If they can just find at least a few guys that they feel comfortable with at the end of games, it could make a big difference. So, we shall see. Like I said, big series this weekend against Texas Tech, um top 20 team. If they can find a way to get two or three this weekend and try to build on that, you know, who knows. Who knows? I got to go to Austin next weekend. So you, you probably uh you probably want to try and find a way to win this series this week to have any hope of climbing out of the basement right now of the Big 12, which is kind of where they're hanging out at the bottom right now. So.
1: Josh, the uh, the midweek pitching has been better the last two weeks. Um, mm. I think five pitchers against Oral Roberts, six last night against Wichita State. Does that mean any of those guys are going to get more weekend duty? Because that's where they obviously need to get some work done is on the weekends.
0: Yeah, you know, Braden Carmichael last Tuesday, he's been in Oklahoma for a while. He's a guy that people are, are familiar with. That was maybe the best start of his career. He was so good in Tulsa last year, like six and a third or whatever, really shut them down. Last night was really a bullpen game. So, I mean, all the guys who pitched last night, you'll probably see again this weekend. Nobody went more than a couple of innings uh, last night, which is encouraging, the fact that you were able to get through it using that many different guys. Because usually what's, what's hurt Oklahoma when they try to do that before is it only takes one guy to not have it, gives up six runs or whatever, and now you're you're behind it. They used five pitchers last night. Everybody did a pretty good job. Uh, Carson Atwood was a little shaky, but he reeled it in. He'll give up the one run, and so I would expect to see all those guys again this weekend. And you know, Braden Carmichael is a big one. I imagine the fact that they the fact that they didn't use him last night, I think entails that he's going to get more and more of a big role out of the bullpen. Um, and so we'll see what that looks like this weekend because they used him in Waco out of the bullpen too. So I think Skip is just trying to trying to move the pieces around, kind of just trying to find what is going to be the right sauce. And, you know, talking to him last night after the game, he acknowledged that the weekend in Waco was bad. He, he, the way he described it was we got back to the basics. I mean, we just – today at practice, you know, he was like, we just got fundamentals because we just didn't play good baseball at all in, in in Waco over the weekend. So, so far so good. Just one game, but that's a Wichita State team that already beat them twice, and they, they smoked them last night. So, we'll see if they can build on it. And uh, moving into the weekend here at home. All right, any last things? Yes,
1: you left out two important women's sports notes, Josh. Uh, women's gymnastics national championships sure. is this weekend in Fort Worth. The semifinals yeah. is Thursday. Uh, number four UCLA, number five Utah, and number nine Kentucky are in OU semifinal bracket, so they advanced there. The top two teams advance. To Saturday's national championship round, the four on the floor, uh, it's going to be Thursday at 2 p.m. is the semifinal, and Saturday at 3 p.m. on ABC. Uh, looking for TV. I don't see where TV is on uh, Thursday, to uh, tomorrow. And then uh, women's basketball. Let the Bedlam never die. Lexi Keys, Bedlam star, right. Oklahoma right. State star, has transferred to OU. So... That's pretty big. She's uh, kind of a three-point. I think she was sixth in school history at Oklahoma State in three-point shooting. Uh, led the team, or was second on the team last year in steals. So she's a five, seven guard from Tahlequah. Uh, going to play her final season. After starting three years at Oklahoma State, she's going to play her final season with OU. So, bed, like I said, let Bedlam never
0: die. In the last calendar year, Cale Davis from OSU to OU, Ben Abram from OU to OSU in baseball, Trace Ford, of course, and Alexi Keys. It's like just becoming a thing. So it's become <laughs> accepted, apparently.
2: What what is uh what did Reggie Grimes say about Trace Ford? That's crazy. That'd be like if one of us went to Texas. <laughs> did he say that? Yeah. Did he say that? Wow. Yes. Wow, I don't I think I, I don't that. think he even realized what he was doing there, but I was like, Reggie. <laughs> that doesn't sound <sit laughs> well.
0: <laughs> Love yeah, talking, talking to Trace Ford last week, he basically <laughs> kinda like, was like, yeah, you kind of have to have a little extra guts, basically, to do it. As, essentially, it's kind of the way he described it. So, I agree. Did, I agree. But, yeah, it's become a thing.
2: Did he have to bring his own guts? Because if so, he might have been a better fit in Clemson.
0: Clemson, that's right. BYOG. BYOG, yeah. In the rain. In the rain. I'm waiting for Venables to bust that out. You think he's got it in the holster? He's waiting for the right moment? <laughs> yes. That That's <laughs>
2: my biggest... The first time they toppled
0: Georgia or something.
2: Yeah, my biggest disappointment from not being able to be at the open practices with my radio slot is I would be the one looking high and low on the practice field. Is there a bucket? Is there a bucket here? Is there a crimson painted bucket where you're supposed to throw your guts into it? Because uh, that—that's what oh you might be missing.
0: You know, I—I am. I, I, it's a travesty that I didn't acknowledge it. You just reminded me. Preventable sports hat backwards at practice on Monday. That was weird. That was bizarre. He didn't wear it the whole time, but I looked over and I did a massive double take. It was like, "What is that?" He <laughs> was wearing that. It was so just foreign. He didn't. He looked like a different guy. Like legitimately a different guy. So Chavis,
1: you expect it. You look at Venables, that's okay. That's accepted.
2: Yeah. Where's,
1: where's this? Where's this hat? Why, where's the bill of his hat? Why is it on backwards? What's going on with that? I literally was like, "Who is that?"
2: I oh. I if in in the span of uh, twenty four months, you can have a fan base have to get adjusted from moving off of visor for the first time since 1999, and then go straight over to the backwards hat like a year later. I, I, that may be too much too fast.
0: I would love to see him coach a game in a backwards hat. That would be quite quite a, uh, a moment if he did that. He only had it backwards for like five minutes, but I caught him. I caught him, <laughs> and it was weird. All right, I think that's it for us. Uh, we'll be back next week, of course, um, previewing the spring game because that's next weekend, which is – Again, we the spring is has moved along, I think, uh, reasonably quickly. And so we'll be back next uh, week to wrap up the latest in spring camp and then preview next Saturday's spring game. All the things we're watching for, all the storylines. We'll make our final predictions on Kyler's statue pose, all that good stuff. We'll be back next Wednesday to do all that and wrap up the weekends for the uh, Diamond Sports, all that good stuff.
1: Don't forget we'll have a post-game pod next Saturday too. Yes.
0: Yes, the po- the return of the post game pod up in our booth. Hopefully there's no disease sandwich uh, for uh, Ryan to consume. And uh, we'll have that for you next Saturday as well. So big stuff coming up next week. We'll catch you first on Wednesday. And you can watch that show or listen to that show, I should say, on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say Alexa. Play the All Sooners podcast. Also post on the website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And watch all the shows as well on whose YouTube page, John Hoover Media. That's it. We'll be back next Wednesday to preview the spring game for Ryan Chapman and John Hoover. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.